I have been thinking about some of life's great questions, and I'm going to contemplate some of the answers to those great questions. My name is Phil, and you're listening to The Lip. Hello everyone, it's Phil. Once again, here I am doing The Lip. Um, wow, real excited about answering these questions that life has to offer, but before I get into that, I have to backtrack just a little bit because there's been a lot going on in the last few weeks and I forgot to acknowledge a few people. And the first uh, person that I wish to acknowledge is the pastor, Reverend James Edlow of Faith Fellowship Baptist Church. Um, On the 19th of May, he celebrated his 19th anniversary for being pastor of Faith Fellowship Baptist Church. Great place to go. It's located at 2101 65th Avenue, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19183. I just want to give a heartfelt congratulations to Reverend Edlow, and I also want to congratulate his congregation, who's he, who is under him. They have an outstanding teacher, and he does incredible with his just pursuit of following the word. He's a great man. Once again, I congratulate him on his anniversary, and I absolutely wish him many, 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 many more years. Now, I also would like to talk about Patrick Houston of Houston's Home Automations and Zenith Transportation. My guy listened to the show about uh, things to do in Philadelphia, and he was enlightened about the Mint. He didn't know that you could actually go through there and do tours, and he's planning on doing so. He also is, or has taken his wife, Yolanda, to the Rodin Museum for her birthday, as I'm recording this episode, it's a few weeks after that. Um, I forgot to acknowledge him because of my recording schedule. But I would like to thank him for listening. Ask you to check him out on his Instagram and his Facebook page, Houston's Home Automations. You gotta try it. You gotta t- you gotta listen to him. You gotta check him out. He does a lot of interesting things, and more importantly, with Zenith Transportation, he will in fact be able to move objects that you need moved from one place to another you can order things he'll go pick them up he'll even take you places if you need to that's all part of it gotta check him out now back to the uh show at hand life's questions um i've found that as i was sitting around trying to decide what to do for this show i had a lot of things or floating through my mind and then In that process, I discovered that, you know, there are questions that people just don't ask, but have in the back of their mind. And one of them, well, maybe not so much anybody's really thinking about it, but I am. So I figure I would pose a question and maybe pose an answer to the question. Something like that. Um, I think that a lot of people think about these questions from time to time you see them on social media every once in a while or somebody will 
post something here or there about these things that I'm about to speak about. And boy, I honestly think that they are worth the ask, worth explaining at least my thought process about what these questions are all about. And of course, today I may have a co-host floating around here in my studio. I saw probably what is the largest fly who has ever lived, and he is in the office with me. So from time to time, he just might contribute to the show. And trust me, from what I've seen of him and heard from him already before I started recording, he has a lot of opinions on a lot of different subjects, so he could just maybe make this episode even more entertaining if he wishes to comment. But, you know, I I don't know if he has an opinion on some of the things. He might have some on some, but may not have some on others, so you just gotta kind of listen out. And when he starts chiming in, I'll let him have his piece. That's only fair. If we're going to give the guy the opportunity to be a part of the show, correct? Oh, there he was now. Well, anyway, the main event is coming up now. Ding, ding, ding. Time for the main event. Main event. Main event. Let's get right into it, shall we? Well, let's see. The first question that I have that life seems to bring to bear is the question about the toilet paper roll. How is it supposed to be? Is the paper supposed to be up and over the top? Or is the paper supposed to be flowing down low? Now, I kind of understand why people might like it on top. Because you can just reach and just pull and pull and pull and it's not that big a deal if it's underneath and it's facing outward you might have to reach a little bit farther in and sometimes when you try to pull it out it might break before you get an the amount of toilet paper that you're trying to get i can kind of see how that can be problematic from time to time now i know people who are 100 percent with the toilet paper hanging over and I also know a few people who are toilet paper hanging down. They feel that when it's hanging down, well, you don't have to worry about it just draping all over the floor from the front, hanging down. Let's say if you have a cat or something, the cat might go into the bathroom and hit the toilet paper and sort of push it down from the outside while it's dangling there. And they didn't like that. So they hung it the other way. Other people thought that it's just the way you're supposed to do it keeping it down in that front and if you put it in the back it's just not the way to go well as far as i'm concerned i think that with this great debate of toilet paper i think the answer is don't put it on a roll nobody thinks of that don't put it on the toilet paper roll to begin with. Now, if it's not on the toilet paper roll to begin with, on the, all you have to do is just grab the toilet paper, pull it out whichever way you wish. It's not hanging in any general direction. You can just sort of have it on like um, 
you know, the way they have paper towels, the dispensary, the paper towels sometimes, when you just put the paper towels on top and they just hang there, they don't hang there, but they're standing straight up and down. Why don't you just take the toilet paper rolls and put them on, say, a paper towel dispenser that makes the paper towels hang up and down as opposed to side to side. That way you don't have to worry about the toilet paper hanging in any direction or the other because it'll just be straight up and down. There's not going to be an issue. I think that could solve that problem. Use a paper towel dispenser that has the paper towel sitting up and down and you could just solve your problem. I think that could be the way to do it. I think that's what I might say. That might be the answer to that question. The crate toilet paper debate in my mind could be over. It just might be. Well, we're going to move on. I'm now going to look at art. A very interesting subject that many people like. Some people are into it, some people aren't. Some people think that it's art if you can take a magnificent picture, if you can draw perfect bodies and perfect skylines and trees and other stuff like that. People think that that's what art is supposed to be. But then there's also the abstract artist. More so than anything else. People think it looks like something, no offense or insult to children, but they think that maybe a third grader made it. And it's just sort of paint just all over the place with no justification of where it goes and no thought process. Granted, granted, I was given a story when I was in my photography class about a guy who was given a grant because he was a photographer. And what he did was he took pictures of paint flushing around in toilet bowls. And he was given a grant of $100,000 to go south of the equator so that he could take pictures of the toilet bowls with the paint because south of the equator, the toilet bowl flushes in the other direction. So that was his art. He took pictures of paint flushing inside toilet bowls in both directions, above and below the equator. And that's a little more abstract, and there's really not much rhyme or reason for it, some would think. And when it comes to art, I'm more towards the abstract myself. I'm a bit of an abstract artist. I've made a few paintings here or there, a couple sculptures when I was in school. Um, And most recently, I've actually made some art that I've decided to do over the last couple of weeks that was in my mind. And I just bought myself some canvases and made the artwork come out. Now, generally speaking, somebody would look at my art and say, what is this trash? And I'm saying that. But it's not necessarily about where the paint is going or what the paint is doing. For example, I have this one piece that I made. Um, I forgot what I titled it, which is terrible because I'm looking right at it. I have to remember it. But the title was unimportant because... It wasn't about what was on the canvas. It was about what was on, what was on the canvas was saying. And I think that abstract art is supposed to be a little bit like a great professional wrestling match. And for those of you who aren't into professional wrestling, it's 
not necessarily all about the people who are throwing the punches or getting slammed and doing all that, but if you really pay attention to a good pro wrestling match, much like the abstract art that I do and many other people do, the art, the match, tells a story. The story in the match could be, oh, the guy just got his leg taken out and now his knee is hurt. And now he has to try to fight through the match with his injured knee. And his opponent is going to be attacking that injured knee the entire time. And the story that they're trying to tell is, I'm going to attack that knee and is what the guy who's who's healthy is. And the guy who's hurt, his story is going to be, now I'm going to try to fight through this match with this injured knee at all costs. And they're telling the story with each move that is being done every step of the way. When the guy is down and he's hurt and selling that he's injured, he's telling the story that, yes, this knee is hurt and I'm trying to fight through it. Now, this one painting that I did, I actually used the bottom of a bottle of Mountain Dew. And then I used just some random brush strokes here and there. And I created a story about just overall feeling in general. What it is, is I have some swirls, you know, like a, a tannish brown. And the swirls are kind of being compromised by the paint that came off the bottom of the bottle. And they're penetrating it. They're going through it. But there's a certain point where they kind of stop going through it. And then there's a black swirl on the inside, which is still a little incomplete, but it's still strong enough to hold up just a bit. And in the middle of the black swirl is a solid silver oval that I created. And that solid silver oval is essentially being protected by the black on the outside and by the other swirl on the outside. And the story that I'm telling is essentially... Yes, you're going to be attacked from all sides, and sometimes some of those that are, things that are attacking you are going to get through a little bit. But at your very core, you're still strong enough to withhold and withstand all the attacks. And that's pretty much what that story is being told by that very abstract piece of work that I did. And that's really what I think is what's going on with most abstract art, even though it may look a little strange to some people or out of place to some people, the person who made it is trying to tell a story. And in order for that story to be told, they use the paint in order to make that story told, or they make the sculpture, which is in some strange arrangement. It tells that story. And the question that I had was, what's the deal with abstract art? And I think that that's what the deal is. It's all about telling a story. Whereas you get a picture of a sunset, you just, I think it's just a picture of a sunset. But when you have, like I said, my swirly lines with the bottle painted, um, using as just creating blotches all around the picture, it tells a story. And I think that's what abstract art does, tells the story. Now, I'm going to move on to the next one. And this one is a little strange, and it's my wife and a few other friends 
are obsessed with this show. It's the Masked Singer. You know, it's the show where the guys and ladies of all different types of entertainment genres put on masks, hide from even their families so that they don't know that they're doing the show. And at the end of the show, they have to reveal who they are. Now, my question would be is what happens to all those costumes? Now, if you've ever seen that show, we're not talking about just like a little Lone Ranger mask. Uh, where it just covers your eyes. Now, these things are so super elaborate and over-the-top detailed that they are specifically made for the people who were wearing them. And my question is, what happens to those things? Do they take those costumes and put them in some sort of gigantic mass Singer Hall of Fame? But there's been a few seasons of the show now, and these costumes will take up a lot of space. Or, or could it be that the people who wore the costume just take them home and put them somewhere and i can only say this because the participants are super wealthy maybe they put those things somewhere in their fabulous mansions and they just keep them in a spot next to some of their artwork and it says hey i did this i was on this show this is what i wore this is what i sung something like that i would really i think that's a very good question to me personally, I would very much like to know. Granted, there are a lot of people who were doing the show by this point in time, and there's a lot of costumes that are out there, and I imagine that some of them, if they were able to keep those costumes, they might have been doing stuff for charity because a lot of these people, again, are celebrities who wore these costumes, and maybe they can make a few dollars for charity by selling them to people who would be interested in buying such things. They do it all the time with with movie props and such things. Like, for certain, if I were to win the lottery and Samuel L. Jackson was to auction off his purple lightsaber, I would be first in line. No doubt. <laughs> no question. I also would be looking for the WWE to uh, auction off Brock Lesnar's red Universal Championship belt because, well... I noticed something, and I imagine more than me, more than I probably noticed it. Um, the design of the belts had those little crystals all the way through them. I think I might have mentioned it before, but when Brock Lesnar had his Universal Championship belt, one of the crystals fell out. A red crystal was no longer in the Universal Championship belt. I noticed that. So if that ever got on auction and I was rich enough, I would certainly want to put money on that so maybe that would be a good place and a good thing for them to do with those costumes and probably if i was the executive producer or anyone in charge that might be what i would probably want to do but that would just be my idea i don't know maybe they do take them home who knows maybe they wear them when they're doing the dishes that could be <laughs> i don't know I wouldn't, but you never know, right? My answer would be, I would hope that they would take them and sign them somewhere and donate them to charity. But you never know. You never know. But I think that could be the answer. At least that's the answer that I would want to look for. Okay. I'm a car guy, so how in the world could I do a show about life's questions without having a couple of questions about cars? Of course, 
the question is, I have two of them. I'm going to ask this one first, and I'm going to come back around, and I'm going to ask another question altogether. Now, this question is, what is really the best car? What is it? What manufacturer came up with the perfect design to make the ultimate vehicle? Is it possibly Henry Ford's original design and then his predecessors after him taking the cars all the way to what could be considered a glorious victory of amazing vehicles one after another? Of course, it could be the Chrysler Corporation with their cars. Dodge. Oh, my lord. I can't even say it with a straight face. I'm, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I personally do not like Dodge or Ford. They're just my enemies as far as cars go. I am a absolute diehard Chevy guy who has definitely gotten a soft spot for Hyundai slash Kia. I'm not going to lie to you about that. I think that those are essentially becoming the new Honda as far as Kia goes, and Hyundai is trying to fight with the BMW and Mercedes for those kind of vehicles. They want to be in that class, and I think that they're doing all the right things in order to try to get to that point. Having said that, is the BMW what they say it is, the ultimate driving machine? I think it could be. I drove a 7 Series BMW with a 6-speed trans manual transmission and I thought that was the most interesting and special driving experience I've ever had. I thought it was really cool. And many years ago they had that commercial going out um the ultimate driving machine talking about the BMW and I can tell you right now I drove many different types of BMWs and to quote the late great Gorilla Monsoon the 7 Series BMW resembles that remark. It very well could be the ultimate driving machine. But, of course, there are other vehicles out there. I mean, now you have the hybrids. You have the electric cars. You have the, your Teslas, essentially, which are all electric, and you have to charge them. And all these other car companies are working into that. So, I ask the question one more time. What is the very best car. Now, to answer that question, I have to go back to my Lincoln Tech days and a teacher that I had for brakes. His name was Mr. Paul. He explained what the ultimate car was, and he explained it just like this. Ferraris. Lamborghinis, Maseratis, Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, doesn't matter. They're all junk. And you see, if they weren't, we wouldn't make any money. <laughs> Truth be told, there isn't a perfect car. It's a matter of preference. Because just like Mr. Paul said, at the end of the day, they are simply machines. And... All machines are going to be suspect to breaking down. And when they break down, there is mechanics who are paid and trained to fix them. And when it comes down to it, no matter what kind of vehicle you have, no matter what type of car you prefer, at the end of the day, 
every single part of that vehicle can be removed, can be replaced, can be rebuilt, and that vehicle can drive just as it did when it came off the showroom floor. If you have both the time and the money, that's the only two things that limit you as far as what you can do with a car, having the time and money. But truthfully, again, the answer to what is the ultimate car, I mean, there isn't one. There really isn't. It's, it's truly about preference. Like I said, I prefer Chevy, and I've gotten a soft spot for um, Kia and Hyundai. Some of my friends are Ford fans, but, eh, you know, nobody's perfect. But at the end of the day, they all have rubber tires that can catch a nail and get flat. At the end of the day, they all, all the gasoline engines still run with oil, and they could end up having a leak and seizing the engine. It really comes down to, do you like the oval with the blue symbol with the four written in it, or do you like the bow tie? I mean, or whatever other symbol there is. There's a million of them, right? The four rings next to each other for Audi. I mean, it can go on forever. The blue and white circle with DMW. You know, there's, there's a bunch of them. But to answer that question, the best car, there isn't one. It's just preference. Truly just preference. Now, to a more realistic question. Let's face it. There are no such thing as gnomes or trolls who come up or who come up and take your socks. That doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. So where does that sock go that everybody always seems to lose? And it's never from the same pair of socks. It's never from the same pack of socks where they're all the same color or shape, whatever. You always lose different socks. You lose one sock that's black, and then you lose one sock that is green with blue stripes. That's the way it happens. They're always you're always breaking up pairs. Why is that? Well, like I said, the trolls didn't do it. The gnomes didn't do it. The fairies don't take them. The socks are taken by listen to my conspiracy. I believe that it could be drum roll please. It could be the sock manufacturers who know that if they take just one sock from each pair every so often, you're going to have to buy new socks. <laughs> you're going to have to buy new socks, and that's what they want. So <laughs> the sock people are breaking into people's houses. And they're taking just one sock from each pair. One of your dress blue socks is going to be missing. One of your athletic low-cut um, crew, so uh, crew socks is going to be gone. Just one. Just one. And then you're going to realize, oh, man, I'm missing a sock. Can't ever find it. Now I have to go buy another pair of socks. Which, of course, is going to make the sock manufacturers rich. Like I always say, when it comes to conspiracy, who has the most to gain? And at the end of the day, if you lose one sock and you have to buy another pair, the manufacturers of the socks have the most to gain because they're making more money. <laughs> oh gosh, it's happening again. Hold on a second, I'll be right back, everybody. Alright, I got that out of my system. But that's the way I'm going to answer that question.
the sock companies infiltrate our homes and take one sock, so we have to buy more. Alrighty then. <sighs> Back to the cars question again. Now this one almost makes me laugh almost as much as the other one, but it says a lot about our country in general to me, this question. When I drive down the road and everybody else drives down the road and you see cars that have those plates on them, those, um, those plate covers, license plate covers, and they're from an Ivy League school like Temple or Brown or Yale and I, around me in Philadelphia, you can see the University of Penn every once in a while. These are big time schools that charge a ton of money. And what they produce is just the highest level of student that's going to come out and become a doctor, a lawyer, something that's going to make them a lot of money in theory, right? Granted, they're going to be spending a lot of money in back loans and such, but, but still, whenever I see these plates from these Ivy League schools, more often than not, and you just tell me if I'm wrong, you would expect to see... A license plate cover on, let's say, I don't know, a Jaguar or a Ferrari or a BMW, right? And that license plate cover would say Temple or, um, I don't know, Brown or Yale or somebody like that in the Ivy League, right? No, I've actually taken the time to count it from just driving around the city, Philadelphia here, and in New Jersey. When I've been seeing these Ivy League school plate covers, they've been on Toyotas and Hondas. Yeah, well, Toyotas and Hondas. I'm not talking about the overpriced Toyota, the Lexus, or the overpriced Honda, the Acura. I mean... Straight up Toyota, straight up Honda, your super reliable, moderately priced vehicle. That just hurts me a lot in a lot of ways because these people are going to school in the upper crust, in the in the Ivy League, in the in the ultimate elite, right? And yet, I see those plate covers on what would be your general blue-collar worker's car. Um, what is up with that? What is up with that? It's, it, it's just sad to me. Because, for one, it says that either, A, those super high-level people are not getting the super high-level jobs that they were aspiring to from going to these places of super renown, or... Or the debt that they accumulate is so great that they're never going to get out of it to the point where they won't ever get to drive that Jaguar or that um, Lexus or that Audi, whatever you want, right? Maybe it's just that much money that they have to pay for these cars, for the, for the, not the cars, but for the... Um, for the loans and such, that they don't get to to drive those kind of cars. Either way, it's extremely sad. Extremely sad. I hope that somehow, some way, 
that gets reversed because, granted, unless, unless you absolutely fell so totally in love with the Honda or the Toyota and you're a lawyer, a doctor, somebody, and you're just obsessed with that car and you choose to buy that one because you like it, when you have the University of Penn or the Temple or the Yale or um, a, a plate cover like that on your car, if it's not by choice, I, I'm hurt for you. I'm really hurt for you. I don't know. I, I don't got much more about that. I, I don't understand it. I never will. And I just hope that those two things, like I said, the, the price of the education and or the availability of those high-level positions sort of equals out so that these people can, in fact, drive the car that would match the education. Just me. That's what I hope happens. And on that note, I'm going to ring the bell. Main event over. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. The Spear of the Week this week didn't happen while I was inside a car which is what was a little off a little bit, just a little different than usual. Um, out shopping for groceries with my family and ended up having to go to the uh, the courtesy desk to have some coupons applied, right? And the line was in quite a bit of disarray, and then this dude just walked up and decided to just cut us off. Now... Normally, when I'm in a car, I can sit back and just look at how stupid somebody is and just drive on by. But this guy was right there. Had it not been for my wife, I would have definitely gone and speared this individual right through the counter. And I think everybody who was behind us would have been totally okay with it. So, the spear of the week would be whatever that jerk was who decided to just cut us in line at the grocery store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to shut down this episode. Well, I wonder what you think about life's questions that I've decided to come up with. And I imagine that these questions and more are probably going through your mind right now, too. And there's really no way to answer any of them. It's simply each and every one of those questions that I posed really comes down to, well choice at the end of the day well with the exception of the socks like i said i'm convinced that it's absolutely a conspiracy by the sock companies <laughs> all right i'm just kidding i was having fun with that one i hope you all realize that right i'm not insane and in thinking about stuff like that really don't believe it it was in fact just a funny joke i thought but anyway, things that are not jokes, you can check this. You can check me out at Twitter at pissedphil or Instagram philiphenderson five one zero two, and then of course there's the Facebook page. Join us, become a part of our Facebook uh, fan club that we got here with the lip. We need as many people as we can get to join us. Become a member of the Facebook group i can promise you this we have room for one more 
than the, the house. It's great. It's amazing. For every one person that, that we can squeeze into our group, I promise you there's room for one more person. There really is. There really, really is. And on that note, I also want to remind you to check out my Facebook Reels and um, the YouTube channel, the Lip YouTube channel, Phil the Lip. You can find a whole bunch of little shorts on there that I've been posting over the last few months. And some of them are funnier than others. I hope you enjoy them. Now, finally, we're going to get back down to business. It's time for the words of wisdom. Here they come. We all have had co-workers from time to time that were just not pleasant, to say the least. I need you to know that when it comes to some of those co-workers, you could probably go up to them and tell them, I'm as excited to work with you as I would be to use a flaming pen to sign a contract with the devil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people are going to run to that contract with the devil it has that flaming pen saying, here, go ahead, sign this. Nope. Not at all. Once again, you can tell those people that you work with sometimes, yeah, I'm as excited to work with you as I would be to use a flaming pen to sign a contract with the devil. <sighs> wow. We've all been there. But as far as this show, we're all about to leave. I'll talk to you next week. My name is Phil, and you've just listened to The Lip.